You're listening to the J.C. and Morgan podcast presented by BP Skinner Clothiers. Folks, if you want to make sure that you look your very best, don't settle for the department store down the street where you're getting something off the rack that is lesser quality and you're dealing with salespeople that sometimes, let's face it, can be a little bit pushy. Get a guy whose sole goal is to make sure you look your very best and he goes out of his way to do so. When I say out of his way, I mean he's coming to you no matter where you're listening to us on this podcast. Brent Skinner a BP Skinner Clothiers will come on out. You book an appointment on the website, bpskinnerclothiers.com. He'll have a consultation with you. He'll bring the samples of some of the most luxurious fabrics from the finest mills in Europe for you to look through as they begin to design your custom garment. After that, it's a few weeks and you are done. It's mailed to you at your door, and you're ready to go. You, like me and so many others that Brent has worked with, will notice the difference in how you look and how you feel, and the price is right. Again, go to the website, bpskinnerclothiers.com. Set up an appointment with Brent Skinner. He'll come to you no matter where you are in the country, and you will begin to look your very best. And now for an inside look at college sports with the men in the know, J.C. and Morgan. Here's Mike Morgan and J.C. Sherbert. It's J.C. and Morgan. It's the preview edition, the fastest 30 minutes in the podcast world, breaking down the top matchups in college football in this week eight. He is J.C. Sherbert of 24-7 Sports. I'm Mike Morgan of ESPN and the SCC Network. Podcast brought to you by the great folks at bpskinnerclothiers.com. Check out Brent Skinner and company. He will come to you and set you up for all your custom-made clothing needs. JC, last week we had premier matchups, and some of the games actually lived up to the hype, and we had one major upset. Let's see what we have in store this week. You look at the board. There, to me, there's a couple that stand out by far uh, above the rest. One in the Big Ten. We've got Penn State and Michigan. Oh, what Jim Harbaugh would do to pick up a big landmark signature win that's not Ohio State. And then in the Pac-12, you've got Oregon at UW. Oregon taking on the Washington Huskies. Those are two of the ones that lead the way. You know, in the SEC, you got a bunch of matchups that don't sound that bad. But then, I mean, you look at, like, the point spreads. Not that that should be any indicator. Just ask Georgia. 26-point favorite against South Carolina. That didn't work out that well. They're 26-point favorite against Kentucky. LSU, 19-point favorite at Mississippi State. Uh, Auburn, 17-and-a-half-point favorite at Arkansas. And Alabama, remember when Alabama-Tennessee was actually somewhat of a a marquee matchup? Well, I mean, how many times are we going to watch Alabama beat Tennessee by 30-something points? The Tide are a 36-point favorite against the Vols. Those are some of the big matchups this weekend in college football. Yeah, I mean, look, I'm going to say this. A lot of people outside of the Pacific Northwest probably don't realize this, but Oregon and Washington hate each other, okay? Washington fans don't like Washington State. Oregon fans don't like Oregon State. That's the Apple Cup and the Civil War, respectively. But I I have a good buddy that's an Oregon fan, and he was like, I was like, well, you know, Who's y'all's big rival? Who you know me, me being from the south? I'm like, who's y'all's big rival? <laughs> you know, y'all's big. Did you rival. fix him some sweet tea after oh this happened? Oh my god! And he's like, well, he's like, you know, I I don't like the Beavers. No, I don't like the Beavers too much. But I hate U Dub. That's what they call Washington U Dub. U Dub. And it's vice versa. 
the Ducks and the Huskies sort of, uh, and it's been kind of a generational thing. They've sort of, Washington was really powerful back in the 90s. Oregon is what I call the, the, the biggest slow build in college football history. It went from not so good. Rich Brooks was there 17 years, pounding sand, finally got into the Rose Bowl. Bilotti took it a little higher. Chip Kelly took it a little higher. Shelfrick. Helfrick, I'm sorry, actually played for national championship. He gets fired. You had the one year of Willie Taggart. And now um, Cristobal's got it back rolling. And, and, and Washington has, has, of course, reemerged under Chris Peterson. And, and so now it's, it's much more intense than it used to be because these two teams are, I mean, you know, these two teams are good. And if you're a Pac-12 football fan, which – you know, look, Mike, I'll, I'll be honest. I'm a fan of the Pac-12. I like the league. I like the schools. I like the quality of, of athletes out there. I like the fact that every team in that league at one point or another has had a pretty special year. So everybody sort of got a chance in the Pac-12. Um, if you're a Pac-12 football fan, you want the Ducks to win. Um, and Oregon's playing better and better. They had a, a gritty win against Cal. They blow out a pretty good Colorado team. They win this one. You can kind of see them, you know, winning the North and uh, possibly finishing, you know, 12-1. and one. I think it's going to take some other teams losing for them to get into the playoff, like some of the cabal, if we will. But, you know, you're sitting there and they've got one loss at the beginning of the year to Auburn and they've rolled through everybody else. You can, you can make a case for the Ducks to get in the playoff. Washington wins this game. It's over. The Pac-12 will once again not be <laughs> in the college football playoff. Um, so if you're a fan of that league, I think you're pulling for Oregon. Uh, if you're a fan of Washington, you're certainly pulling for the Huskies. But it should be a heck of a game, and it's good to see this rivalry, which is intense, uh, be very, very meaningful uh, and have a lot on the line this year. And when you look at it, uh, of course, we're going to have you know another month and a half to talk about this but with the sec almost certainly poised to get two teams in this year and the big 10 champion a guarantee to get in almost a guarantee to get in this year and i don't see how clemson's not going to get in this year i still think it's going to be almost impossible for the pac-12 to get in i think your logic is right um but I just think I think the lights have already been turned out on the Pac-12, and if I'm really surprised that if you're Larry Scott and you're you're you know Bowlesby over there at the Big 12, you guys should be leading the way. You should be have a bullhorn on top of your plush offices in what Dallas and Chicago for the Big Ten. Is that where the Big Ten yeah. offices? Yeah, they got a they got an office in New York now too. But yeah, Chicago I think is where they. All right. Well, we'll we'll throw in another guy in New York, and and while you're at it, you know, um, uh, well, I'm sorry, but I didn't mean the Big Ten. I meant Larry Scott, the Pac-12. Where's the Pac-12 office? Uh, has to be Los Angeles, I would think. It had to be L.A., right? I mean, yeah. they're not going to put it in Silicon Valley. So you guys should be on top of the tallest building in L.A. and in Dallas, respectively. And then, yeah, hire some other people to do it in New York and Chicago <laughs> and across the country. Uh, you got the money. And, and and be begging and pleading that this playoff is expanded to eight as soon as humanly possible because those are the conferences that are going to get hurt the most if it stays at four. The Pac-12, if, if they get shut out again, I believe that'll be four years in a row while mm-hmm. they'll be watching it on TV. Um, yeah, well, wa- Washington made it in 2016. So, yeah, 17, 18. 18, 19. Well, this will be the third straight. 
third no. straight. Yeah, third straight. Third straight. And well, they've only made it, what, once? Twice. Right? Oregon made it the first year. That's right, Oregon. And then That's Washington right. made it one year. But we're, we're in year six of the playoff, are we not? Is this not year six? Or am I jumping the gun on year – well, whatever it is, they've yeah. missed it. They've missed it more than they've made it. Let's yeah, put it yeah, that. Yeah, it was twenty twenty. The Oregon made it in twenty fourteen. Washington in twenty sixteen. So they made two of the first three, but haven't made one since. Okay. Seventeen, eighteen, nineteen. Shut up. Third. So it'll be the third straight year and fourth, third straight out, fourth year out of the last five. Four out of the last five, and if, and if the Big Twelve get, uh, I mean the big. I didn't even mention the Big Twelve with Oklahoma, right? Yeah. So. And and they've been shut out a couple of times before, and of course they had the the co-champion situation where they were shut out. The Big Ten uh, too. I mean, the Big Ten's had a tough go of it too. So it's uh, yeah, you know. yeah. So maybe they should. Maybe maybe Delaney needs to hire a guy in Chicago. The point is, like, unless you're the SEC and unless you're the ACC, the way Clemson's been getting in, uh, you guys should really want to expand. But if you're the Pac-12, holy cow, you should be. Just screaming, and Larry's never been short of opinions before. Some some good and some not so good. To to go ahead and get this thing expanded because it hurts as a league when you've got no representation. And here we are again, and we're only talking about week eight, and we're talking about the fact that Oregon has to win just for the Pac-12 to have a chance, as minuscule as it might be, to be in the playoff. If not, and I'm like you, I'm not I'm not banging on the Pac-12. I, I enjoy Pac-12 football. I like watching games late at night. Uh, I've had a chance to call games at some of those campuses, beautiful campuses, beautiful schools, great part of the country. I'm not sitting here and, and hoping for the demise of the Pac-12. I, I just, I'm just looking at reality, and, and reality is that, once again, they're not in good shape for it. Now, if this was an eight-team playoff or even a six, now you're still you're in great shape because chances are if we ever go to that everybody's going to get one all power five conferences are going to get one so it remains relevant to the very end in that context but uh, i just don't see it anyway that's an aside and that's enough on the pac-12 overall Uh, what about penn state michigan i mean don't you think this is not hot seat talk this is not hot take talk this is just looking at it from a Michigan fans perspective because they're going to be a, a I would think a fairly healthy underdog against Ohio State this year this is a winnable game I, I you Penn State I think is an eight-point favorite like this is a winnable game and at some point Jim Harbaugh has to win more of these quote-unquote winnable games even though you're you're an underdog I agree. I mean, he's a good enough coach to do that. Obviously, you know, you look back through his career, what he did with the 49ers in the NFL at Stanford. I remember him taking a team that had no business being on the field with one of those very good Pete Carroll-led Southern Cal teams and beat him by a point down there. Um, I, I just think that, you know, where is the magic? And, you know, I watched a lot of their – I said in the, the podcast earlier this week or the episode earlier this week, I watched a lot of their game with Illinois, and Illinois is terrible. But I still looked at the Michigan offense and I still was like, you know, this was their answer. And, and, and I'm sorry, but just because a guy coaches for Joe Moorhead, James Franklin, and uh, Nick Saban um, or, uh, you know, Mike Loxley or whoever they had on that staff doesn't mean he's a guy that's ready to go call plays for Michigan. I think Jim Harbaugh needs to be the offensive guy. I think he's a good offensive coach. I think he needs somebody with him that's, you know, you don't have to, like, reinvent the wheel. You just have to do what you do good. 
Um, and in the Big Ten, you can still do that. You don't have to spread the field and, and throw it 90 million times and do anything cutting edge or anything like that. And so I still don't think that offense is all that good. Uh, I think they have issues. And they should be better because I thought Shea Patterson would be the answer for them. Um, but, yeah, it, it's, I did too. It, it's time. And, and, you know, in that division, you know, Michigan State's down this year. Maryland's, Maryland's a little up. Rutgers is awful. Indiana's probably going to – feast on somebody but they're indiana i mean you basically it's a it's a round robin three team round robin ohio state michigan penn state all are good penn state's undefeated you're going to happy valley you got the doors blown off of you last time you went out there to play i think it was 42 to 13 two years ago um you need to win the football game i mean that, that's the bottom line if you're michigan because you've already had one situation where you went to wisconsin who I think is an excellent football team, obviously, uh, and got got beat. And, and so you need to kind of make up for that because the game with Ohio State isn't going to have division or national implications or conference in, implications uh, other than you could knock Ohio State off their perch if you don't take care of business here. So I, I do think it's a big game for Jim Harbaugh. Do I think they will win? No. <laughs> I think it's winnable. But I think Penn State's going to find a way. And I think James Franklin's very good in situations like this at home, um, you know, against a team that, you know, is one of the teams that you want to beat every single year if you're a Nittany Lion. Um, I think he's very good. And, and I give James Franklin a lot of credit. You know, he, he keeps winning games every single year, no matter if he has personnel losses or not. I mean, you lose players, you get players, you know. So he's recruited well. He's – you know, keeping them on, and um, you know, it, it's a big game for them too because you go to seven and zero at that point. You know, then you start looking down the road, and you're like, well, yeah, they do have a road game at Minnesota, which is going to be tough. They do play; they still have Ohio State to play, but you, you know, you start wanting to get in the playoff mix, and you know, not saying it's going to happen because I think Ohio State right now is head and shoulders above just about everybody in that league except Wisconsin. You know, this is a game you want to win, so. Big ball game and a big win for for Penn State at Iowa uh, last week too, um, Mike. I, th- I think that that was a big one. And, and if you and one more point about them too, if you look at their schedule, they're going to have a ton of quality wins if they win out or if they finish with one loss and win the division. You know, if you talk about going and beating Iowa on the road, beating Minnesota on the road, those are bigger wins this year than maybe in years past. So. I think it's a titanic game for both. I, I, I don't think Michigan's going to get it done, but I agree that if he wants to get off DEFCON, what we have, what do we have at three or two right now? Three. Three? Three. You, you don't want to get a DEFCON two. Don't lose this ball game, Jim. Yeah. If he loses this in Ohio State, he, he's quickly going down to at least two. Um, doesn't mean he's going to get fired or anything else, but in terms of – Approval rating, it ain't going to be good for Jim Harbaugh if you start losing or if you continue to lose games like this, I should say. Uh, before we we'll eventually get into every SEC game, just quick hitters on each one. There's a couple other top 25 matchups that are uh, intriguing. We had a bunch of them last week, and we had a number of top 25 teams lose. But most of them lost to other top 25 teams. Under the category of this used to be a really highly intriguing game, West Virginia's at Oklahoma, Clemson's at Louisville. Wasn't that long ago, you would have said, wow, can't wait to see that. Now they're both expected to be blowouts. 
Uh, Iowa will try to lick its wounds a little bit. They'll have Purdue at home. Temple SMU, an American battle showdown. Yes. That'll be a good game. Both are five and well, uh, both are two and zero in the American. Temple's five and one overall. SMU is six and zero. One of the best stories in college football. That should be a lot of fun over there at Gerald Ford Stadium in Dallas, Texas. SMU is seven and a half point favorite in that one. Uh, Baylor tries to improve to seven and zero at Oklahoma State. Be careful. Bears, I, I think this one's this one might do you in. <laughs> this is what happens in the Big Twelve. You got you know you got a team that's you know six and zero, seven and zero. They're a good story. Then they got to go to Stillwater and play the mullet, and they end up yeah. losing by six in a shootout, and then that's it. Yeah, <laughs> this yeah, happened. I've seen this story before. Now they seen it before. They win this one. I think. I think we need to really, really start talking a little bit. Uh, and we are we actually on on our podcast, folks. We talk a lot about Baylor. Mike Mike brought it up last week, but maybe we should talk about him even more. I'm a Matt Rule guy, and it wasn't that long ago I was doing games there uh, for another network as part of a Big Twelve package, and I saw what it can look like in Waco before it was completely gutted with the Art Bryles debacle, uh, which I couldn't help but I couldn't help but think, JC. Around that time, I'm in Dallas for Big 12 Media Days, and the big story on every uh, newscast is Penn State getting as close as we've seen to the death penalty. All the Sandusky sanctions coming out, the huge fine, the scholarships, the the bowl bans, and everything else. It was really heavy-handed, and I know – at the time, a lot of people used that opportunity uh, as an opportunity to kind of grandstand uh, as if somehow anybody in their right mind would think that Jerry Sandusky is not a complete piece of crap and deserves to be uh, punished unmercifully. I get that. Uh, but once you had Joe Paterno out of the program, basically what you did was you made a lot of people suffer that had nothing to do with Jerry Sandusky. And you made Penn State fan, uh, the program, the fans, and everything else. And I think a lot of people looked at just how heavy-handed those sanctions were, and they figured Penn State's not going to be relevant for at least a decade. Uh, I'll give Coach O'Brien now the Texans credit and, and give everybody involved with that program, including James Franklin, credit. They're more than relevant. I mean, they got a chance to win the Big Ten and be in the playoff this year. They've come close a couple of times before. Uh, it just goes to show you there's some programs that are so internally strong and have so many things going for it that uh, unless you do truly give them a death penalty, you can't keep them down forever. Um, you know, SMU is a different story. SMU is not built that way. It's a great story this year, but SMU has never been built to be a, an upper echelon program in this day and age, in this climate of college football supremacy. Penn State, yes. And Baylor, not that they had this a similar uh, th- obstacle to overcome in terms of sanction as Penn State did, but they had a lot. And I think a lot of people figured, well, Baylor sucked before our Bryles got there anyway, so they're just going to be back to a crappy program for another 30 years. And Matt Rule said, no, nope, uh, we're going to turn this thing around. And if you know anything about athletics in Waco, they, they take them very seriously. It's a great institution. They're all embarrassed about what happened there, uh, but they have not taken their foot off the gas in terms of this rebuild. So I, I think it's 
I think there are two great stories. Unfortunately, the story all starts with something that's very ugly and, and uncomfortable for everybody. But it ends with, okay, they're back. They're back, and I think that's I think that's a good thing. This might be the year of the resurgent program, right? If especially headlined by by SMU. But that just got me to thinking about all that uh, when I was looking at Penn State and thinking, wasn't that long ago where I, a lot of us were sitting in a room, me and media members covering that event, the you know the Brett McMurphys of the world, the David Ubbins of the world. Uh, all the people from Fox and other outlets thinking, my God, Penn State's never going to recover from this. I mean, it's just insane. All the all the sanctions that were passed for, and here they are. They're they're very much relevant uh, and very much in the picture. Yeah. Uh, Boise State trying to go to seven and zero. They'll take on BYU. Looks like Boise's back to being Boise, and uh, Arizona State Utah very. Unheralded matchup in the Pac-12. One team will emerge three and one in the league, six and one overall. Uh, the fight in Herm Edwards. If, if they win that one at Utah, then you could finally put me down as a believer because I have definitely been somewhat reluctant to go that route. I love the quarterback matchup here. True freshman Jaden Daniels has been really good for Arizona State this year. Um, it looks like their coaches have kind of taken the – the training wheels off, so to speak. Um, you know, eight touchdowns, only one interception, uh, 1,610 yards so far. And then Tyler Huntley, in my opinion, Mike, is one of the most unheralded dual threat guys in the country and certainly one of the most unheralded guys in the Pac-12. This game's big for both these teams as far as the Pac-12 South goes. Um, you know, Utah, to me, shouldn't have lost. You, you kind of feel weird saying – well, Utah should have never lost to Southern Cal at the Coliseum, but Utah should have never lost to the Trojans at the Coliseum. I watched that game, and Utah just didn't play very well. SC won it by seven. Um, or else I think they would be in the playoff hunt. Kyle Whittingham has really – and these are two different guys. You know, this is Herm Edwards, um, who, who's more known for a press conference uh, tirade uh, you play to win the game <laughs> than anything in his NFL coaching career. They fire a, a guy that was pretty successful, in my opinion. And t- I mean, as far as anybody else that's coached at ASU and Todd Graham, they bring in Herm Edwards. You're scratching your head. He doesn't even know the mascots of Sun Devil during the press conference. <laughs> um, and he's, he's, you know, had a pretty good first year. And hey, they're five and one this year, and, and they're winning. And He's doing what he does, and 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 this, the concept there is Herm Edwards is kind of the CEO and the leader, and he lets his coordinators work and mm-hmm. coach football. And man, I, I think it's working. I mean, Arizona State's always been a sleeping giant. They've tried everything under the sun, no pun intended, considering their mascot. See, Herm, I know the mascot at Arizona State. Um, everything under the sun to get it going and maybe this is just crazy for it to work out. You know, Kyle Whittingham has been the head coach at Utah since Urban Meyer left and never taken another job. It just was an assistant that got promoted and you know, the transition from the Mountain West to the Pac-12 was challenging for a couple of years and now Utah consistently is one of the best teams in that league. And so it's just kind of a different dynamic I like the quarterback matchup. I like the head coaching matchup. I like Rice Eccles Stadium in Salt Lake City. 
had an old ex-girlfriend that was a Utah graduate. I know she's out there somewhere. Um, <laughs> used to talk about Rice Eccles Stadium and, and all that. And, uh, and I, I've actually been by there in the summer and took a selfie uh, at Rice Eccles Stadium. So wow. hopefully, uh, you know, like the Sun Devils, like the Utes, uh, hopefully this game's a classic. What, what happened to the girl? Dump me. Oh, no. Dump me on my butt. Yeah, it was bad. Not during football season, I hope. Nah, it was during the spring, thank God. So, <laughs> no, that was a long time ago. But, yeah, she was a uh, University of Utah graduate, and a uh, but a Tennessee Volunteers fan. So That's good. You, um, you have – so in your past, although back then they would have been probably like in the Mountain West or something, but you can say you dated a, a Pac-12 girl. I, yeah, I've got uh, Pac-12 and SEC, ACC, Pac-12, Notre Dame, I guess. <laughs> you throw Notre Dame. I, I don't want to put them in the ACC. I'd rather put them in the Big 12, Pit Big Ten where they belong. But, uh, yeah, I think that would be it now that I'm thinking about it. Yeah, and then right. and then one that doesn't – that's lucky to know a football is not um, – is not round – doesn't matter. Still counts. She went to a particular university. Uh, I, I've got the SEC pretty well covered. Um, <laughs> I, I, I got I got an American. Uh, she, well, she was she was American. Well, technically, she was British, but she went to UCF. So that's a, got the American Athletic Conference covered. Awesome. ACC, my uh, Florida State. Uh, my, any Big Ten representation? <laughs> oh yeah, Big Ten, uh, Ohio State, Ohio. I, I, I think I don't. Th- I just think I'm missing the uh, the Pac-12. So, kudos to you on uh, Pac-12 representation. I am one up on you there, my brother. <laughs> one up on you there. Oh, how I. This is one subject I never thought that would come on come into play during the podcast. But you know, you just got me to thinking. And uh, I'll say yeah, this, I'm not, too. I'm just glad she was Utah and not BYU. I don't know that I had much, oh, much, much fun in that relationship. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Nothing. I'm, no, BYU people don't get upset. Don't get upset. I was at just, J.C. Sherbert on Twitter. I was all you, just you joking. I was just joking. Uh, good stuff. Anyway, <laughs> let's uh, let's move on before somebody says something that they really regret. Uh, <laughs> SEC matchups, Florida, South Carolina, the Gamecocks coming off the biggest win of the Will Muschamp era, one of the biggest wins in program history. The Gators represented themselves very well in Baton Rouge, but finally lost a game. It's Trask. It's Holinsky. Not exactly the quarterback matchup we thought it would be in August, but for right now, you got two guys that are looking good. This is an intriguing matchup. High noon. Billy Bryce Stadium, what do you think? I think it's going to be a game that uh, it kind of just depends on how the two teams respond mentally and also the health. And when I say health, I'm talking about Florida's defensive line, especially their ends. Um, And I'm talking about South Carolina's quarterback, Halinski. Now, you know, Dan Mullen says that the two ends are a game-time decision. Uh, And, um, well, Muschamp today said Halinski practiced and was looking okay. Maybe some gamesmanship on both ends. Who knows? Um, and then, you know, how, how does how does Florida respond after a disappointing loss? I think they'll be fine. I think this team has played very resiliently this year. When you look at Florida and sort of they've muddled around in games and come back and won and, 
you know, been impressive and overcome adversity and stuff like that. And, you know, you look at South Carolina, too. I mean, they could have folded after they started one and three, and they didn't. Uh, the game is at home. South Carolina is five and four against Florida uh, this decade. The Gamecocks have not lost but one football game to the Gators at home this decade, and that was when South Carolina had an interim head coach, so they're undefeated when they don't have an interim head coach against the Gators at Williams-Price. Um, it's been a tough place to play for Florida, you know, this decade. And um, I, I, I think that the health is what's going to count it. I, I think it's going to be another close, probably low-scoring game, 26-20-ish or something like that. Florida has not had a bye week, and they're now in a stretch where it's Auburn at home, at LSU, at South Carolina for a noon kick. Uh, that's a tough grind. Now, they'll get their bye next week before they take on Georgia in a game that obviously will have huge ramifications for the SEC's Eastern Division. Yeah, I think it has a chance to be one of the better games in the country, uh, not just in the SEC uh, on Saturday. That should be a lot of fun. And I know they'll be playing Sandstorm, and they'll be rocking. They they got plenty to cheer about, some momentum. Now you, you get the Kentucky monkey off the back, and then you pick up the signature win under Will Muschamp. All of a sudden, things are looking a lot better in Gamecock land. Auburn is at Arkansas. Uh, is there any reason why I should think Arkansas is going to win this game? No, it's a get-well game for Auburn and a nice homecoming for Gus Malzahn. I, I think Arkansas had their chance to get their win last week, and I can't even whistle. It's so bad in Fayetteville right now. Uh, <laughs> uh, LSU's at Mississippi State. LSU trying to improve to seven and zero. It's the three thirty CBS game. Um, I, you know, that would be weird. Just kind of like it's kind of like South Carolina beating Georgia. Weird kind of deal. If Mississippi State wins the game, they're a three and three team. They look like poo last week against Tennessee. I'll be honest with you. Tennessee played really well. Don't get me wrong, but Mississippi State looked like poo. I think they'll continue to look like poo. Uh, I think that LSU's going to go up and down the field on their offense, and it's not going to be a pretty ball game. I expect, uh, you know, last year's game between these two is kind of low scoring. And then, of course, two years ago, uh, Dan Mullen beat the snot, I think, out of uh, Ed Orgeron's LSU team in Starkville. But I, I don't see that happening. I think I think LSU will roll, and, um, you know, Mississippi State's going to have to find some wins down the stretch. But good news is they do have Ole Miss, Arkansas, and some other teams on the schedule. Joe Burrow, you can get better than four to one odds right now that he's going to win the Heisman. That's the number two uh, most favorite guy to do so right now in Vegas. Kentucky is at Georgia. That's a 6 p.m. Eastern time start. And this will be an interesting. I'll be very interested to know what the vibe is like at Sanford Stadium on Saturday for Georgia because. How much did the wind go out of the sail after last weekend's home loss? Kentucky is not a sexy opponent this year because they've struggled, even though they picked up a big win last week, their first conference win of the year. That'll be the story in Athens. Yeah, it's a night game. I think that helps Georgia get up a little bit and kind of a get-well deal. Um, Kentucky, look, I'll, tell you, I'll say this. I was impressed last week with Kentucky beating Arkansas. And everybody's like, well, gosh, Arkansas is terrible. Why were you impressed with that? Well, like you said, they have a wide receiver, a quarterback. They've had injuries at the position. They obviously lost a ton of personnel after last year. But Mark Stoops has the program to the point where 
hey, look, just because you have a down year at Kentucky, that may mean you struggle to get to a bowl. It doesn't mean you're going to go winless in the SEC. So hats off to them. But I think Georgia's probably going to get back to being Georgia. They're going to line up. They're going to run it. Kentucky gave up a billion rushing yards to South Carolina a couple weeks ago. Their run defense isn't what it was. Uh, I think the dogs run all over them and get well. Uh, in that football game. And I, I think having an evening start helps because everybody can just say, eh, I'm upset, but I'm going to sit out here and, you know, drink some Jack Daniels for three hours and then scream my head. I won't even know that South Carolina beat Georgia last week. I'll just be yelling for the dogs. Texas A&M is at Ole Miss. This is an interesting game. Mm. I, be careful, Aggies. Ole Miss be a little bit dangerous. That'll be uh, Saturday night at 7.30. Ole Miss is competitive this year. You know, I thought, you know, they they were competitive against uh, Missouri and Alabama. They're getting it home. And A&M needs a win. Uh, Jimbo Fisher, the $75 million man, he needs he needs a win. And you start kind of looking at their remaining schedule, Mike, and, and this is a game they need, to, they need to pull out a W. So very, very important game for the Aggies uh, going to Ole Miss. And um, – you know, I, I don't know. I, I probably would not predict that game right now. My hunch is Texas A&M will be fine, but Ole Miss is not as bad as everybody thinks, and and they are capable capable of beating you, especially a team that you know maybe put a lot of eggs in the Alabama basket last week and it didn't work out. A&M needs a win to improve to two and two in conference play. The Vanderbilt Commodores just about nothing has gone right for Vandy this year. The Fighting Derek Masons are a 21-point underdog at home to Missouri. It's going to be a, a nasty game. I'm, you know, the drive from Columbia, Missouri to Nashville isn't that bad, and you can fly over to from St. Louis about 45 minutes on good old Southwest Airlines. So I, I think the Tiger fans will probably show up and have them outnumbered at Commodore Stadium, especially after last week's uh, UNLV game. Um and a lot of years, Mike, this is a game Vandy kind of looks at and says, hey, we got a shot at winning this, you know, but I just don't think they have a shot this year. And Like we put Vandy on DEFCON 1 earlier this week, I, I don't see them springing a Titanic upset uh, against the Tigers um, in Nashville. You know, with Pinckney, Keyshawn Vaughn, Kalijah Lipscomb, I, I, I just thought Vandy would be better. I'm not saying I thought they'd be world beaters, but I certainly thought they'd be better than what they had been. Yeah, I mean, when they lost 66-38 to 38 to LSU, I, I understood that. I mean, I, I don't expect those Vandy kids against LSU when they're clicking on offense to go out and stop them, but they, they put up 38, you know, they were scoring. It, it, it really didn't get bad, Mike, until uh, the the – the win over Northern Illinois was a little iffy, but it, they won. But the, that 24-point loss at home to UNLV, I mean, that's a head-scratcher. Head-scratcher. No doubt about it. And finally, Tennessee, Alabama, I think it's been – so the last time Alabama lost to Tennessee, I believe it was 2006, right before Saban got the job. Mike Shula was the head coach, and, uh, and Tennessee still had a pulse, if you will, in the sport of college football, they're coming off a nice win last week. I think that that did a world of good for Jeremy Pruitt and company. So now they're two and four, one and two in the SEC. But this is one of those permanent opponents where I dare say, if you polled the majority of Tennessee fans, they would gladly say, uh, "We'll take that. We'll take our chances with somebody else." And I mean, it makes a difference for a team that was five and seven last year. Could be right around there this year. We all know the benefits of going to a bowl game, the extra practices, something to reward your kids with, something for your fan base to feel good about during the holiday season. 
And if you're Tennessee and you're playing, let's just say, Arkansas or Ole Miss or Mississippi State, uh, that could be the difference between getting a bo- in a bowl and not. But you've got Alabama as a permanent opponent in this 6-1-1 format. And sure enough, per usual, Alabama's a 30-something-plus uh, favorite. Yeah, I mean, and it's been that way for a while. But see, look, there were there was about a decade where Tennessee dominated this, uh, this rivalry. You know, it's the third Saturday in October. I just don't see them changing it, nor do I think they should. I know competitively, if you're Tennessee, you don't think you should have to wave the white flag on it. But, um, you know, it has been tough. And it's tough in the years, too, Mike, where they draw, like, on their rotating opponent from the West, it's like Alabama. I mean, it's like LSU or or Auburn or or A&M or or somebody like that. And, you know, they got Mississippi State this year, obviously. But it's it's tough. And, and, And I'll say this, too, though. I think Tennessee's got bigger problems than who their permanent SEC West opponent is. I mean, you're talking about a program that for 10 years, if you look at their overall conference record, not just against the West, uh, their conference record, it's down there with Kentucky and Vandy. So um, I I think there's bigger problems than that. But certainly, you know, this used to be such a big game. Um, and now it's almost like LSU Tulane. Remember LSU Tulane back in the 30s used to be this big rivalry? <laughs> mm-hmm, <laughs> and, yeah. it's, and it's just not anymore. So, you know, I'm not saying it's that bad, Tennessee fans. And, and I'll, I'll say this, too. The years where Tennessee has given Saban's teams problems, that game has been in Tuscaloosa. Lane Kiffin almost knocked him off down there in 09. And Butch Jones, I think, in 2015 almost knocked him off. Uh, down in Tuscaloosa. So when it has been close and competitive and all that, the, the game's been in T-Town. So, heck, that, that that should give you something. And had Butch pulled it off, they truly would have been champions of life. They still Think are champions that. of life. They still are in, you, you in, in other ways. could never take the champions of life. You can't. Away. You really can't. Once once you have that, that moniker, it, it's, it's pretty much impervious to any criticism uh it's it's kryptonite really it's it's kryptonite (laughs) in so many ways uh all right that pretty much wraps it up tell the fine folks out there i know we're on spotify now Uh, we're on itunes we're on google play what am i missing yeah and it's it's a 24 7 sports podcast uh part of the 24 7 sports podcasting family if you go to 24 7 sports you click on podcast you'll find jc and morgan and a lot of other good stuff good podcast too for specific teams uh, Mike's talking up the SMU Pony Express here the last couple of weeks, and we got an SMU podcast that's pretty doggone good. So if you're an hey. SMU fan, it'll knock your socks off. So, um, yeah, go there, Spotify, iTunes. It's called Apple Podcast now, but it's basically iTunes. They just changed the name. Um, and get us. And we got two shows a week during the season, and we had uh, our faithful listeners tuned in to both last week, and we certainly appreciate everyone tuning in. Again, this week as we march on, it's hard to believe it's week eight already, Mike, in the college football. I know season. it. I know it. And the schedule is only going to get much better once we get into November. JC enjoyed it. Folks, you enjoy your college football Saturday. Hope your team wins and we'll talk about it early next week on another JC and Morgan podcast.